Hey, yo, Jeff. What's happening, Jeff? Things are good, bro. Just getting ready to record another episode. You got it. It's the Evolving Dads podcast. Coming to you straight out of Montreal. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode. Today, we have a Jedi designer, strong mother, founder of Jedi Kids. We have Julie Savaria. Julie, welcome. Thank you for having me. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about your, your work and what you're doing today? Uh, yes, of course. So uh, you said it at the beginning, but I call myself a Jedi designer. And uh, Jedi is not for Star Wars. Uh, it is for justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And what I do is that I help organizations and individual develop more uh, equitable, more inclusive practices, as well as anti-racist initiatives. Um, and I do that through training, coaching, and also strategic design. And I also created um, Jedi Kids. And Jedi Kids is a platform where I share resources for anybody, really, any caregivers, friends, family, uncles, whoever, um, wants to raise the next generation of inclusive and mindful children. So Jedi Kids. Mm -hmm. Why? Why do you think it's it it is important to 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 have created like a Jedi designer, or being a designer, a Jedi designer, or even to cre have created Jedi Kid? Ah, story of my life. No, I'm kidding. Um, so the Jedi designer part really came from my my own work experience, uh, evolving in the B corporations, in social enterprises, and also in in, in corporates, right? So Fortune 500 companies. Um, you'll see a lot of diversity and inclusion consultants, right? Um, and that self-proclaim as such. And for me, consulting has a very rigid tone to it, right? It's a framework. It's linear. Um, and that's what you give to the client. And then that's it. When When I work with a client, I like to co-create. I like to co-design. So it's really, um, it's really a relationship for us to be able to uh, give um, to give the client the result that they need and that they want, but most that they need. But it has to be done jointly with them. Otherwise, it's just me thinking that I know what they what they need and want, and. I should keep always um, the, the humans um, and the client at the center of my solutions always. So that's why I decided to mm -hmm. use the term designer instead. It just seemed more fitting with my approach. Um, and while the, jet, the Jedi approach is really, it's a concept, right? To, to not just think about equity and inclusion, uh, but to think that there's something beyond, right? And this is where the justice part comes into play. Um, Otherwise, people are just going to talk about diversity and inclusion or equity, diversity and inclusion. But for me, it's not enough uh, because then otherwise, what, you're going to stop after you created your equitable policies? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, my my goal, and I sh may, probably should not say that to clients, but my goal is that they won't need me anymore, right? That my job would be obsolete because they won't have those systemic barriers that need to have those equity policies. They don't need, they will, they won't need me to create all these initiatives to make sure that everybody is belonging because everything within their system will have been rendered just. Um, and there's no organization that is such as that <laughs> for now, 
but uh, this is my, I guess, my long-term vision. Um, and this is why Jedi Kids was created because when uh, George Floyd's, uh, George Floyd was murdered, a lot of my uh, white friends asked me, oh, well, I want to talk about these big issues with my children, but I don't know how, or how can I diversify the bookshelves of my children? What kind of shows should they watch? And I kid you not, I had a list of books and shows and podcasts uh, that they could look out, like look for, listen to in my notes, in my computer, I would just copy paste it. Right. And at some point I was like, okay, I may just as well create a platform, share my resources there, and then people can just take a look at it if they want or if they don't. Um, and this is how I created the, the, the Instagram handle. And now I have also a website with a very thorough resource uh, resource list that people can go, uh, can go check out. So can you drop those, right you know, now? it's, yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. Drop it. <laughs> it's uh, the, you should definitely go check it out at www.jedikids.ca um, because it's never too early to start talking about these issues. You just need to do it in an age-appropriate way, um, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, I'll for sure have some questions. And uh, you just touched on what I was preparing to ask anyway. How much did your work change in terms of the tone, in terms of the teaching after George Floyd and the BLM protests of 2020. Was there a shift for you? Well, for sure, there has been a much higher demand. Okay. And this is something that we've that that we saw in the field, anyways, right? So all of a sudden, everybody wanted to have a training of some sort. So you have, <laughs> uh, you know, what I call the entry level training. So that's unconscious bias training, uh, and then you will have maybe some diversity and inclusion one on one. Uh, or equity, diversity, inclusion, one-to-ones, and then you, you also have microaggressions, et cetera, et cetera, right? So there's been just a huge surge of demand. However, the shift that I've seen is, is, is I, I guess, twofold. The first one is from the supplier side. So for the from, I guess, the trainer side, all of a sudden, anybody and everybody could become a diversity inclusion. So I saw a lot of management consultants who never had any experiences or never or didn't have the lived experience um, of being a part of, of a historically uh, oppressed community or from a different ethnocultural group than white folks. And all of a sudden they were diversity and inclusion experts, right? And giving all these trainings, but that were still mm-hmm. very surface level because it didn't have that expertise and that knowledge. So that's the first thing that I saw. The second thing that I saw um, is um, a lot of, um, I guess I call it EDI washing, right? So a lot of, oh, look, we hired this consultant to do this training because we really want our employees to feel like they belong uh, and want to diversify our company, et cetera, et cetera. But when you scratch the surface a little bit, you realize that it's just really a checklist on their HR list. So that's why when I work with the client, I always ask them, where does this uh, where does this training or where does my work get um, is, is it with an initiative? Is it a long-term thing or is it just a one-time thing? And if it's just a one-time thing, what uh, what is your plan? What are your objectives? What's your vision for this? Um, so I, I, I pick and choose my clients as well uh, oh. because of that. So these are the two things that I see. Okay. You, you said something about, um, you know, obviously you, 
your 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 job as a consulting is to 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 find solutions and to to make things happen and all that and and at one point make sure that there is that impact that actual impact and you step away and things are solved your job your work or the impact of your work um how do we how do we determine what is just Yes, that's a good question. And to be honest, um, my most of my uh, contracts um, has to do with organizations that want to implement. So they're at the beginning of their Jedi journey, as I call it. Um, because for me, it's a continuum, right? So you don't mm-hmm. stop after you... Um, you know, you hired me, for example, and that we did your strategic planning for three years. And then that's it. You're like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm an equitable and inclusive organization. Um, fun fact, it can take up to eight, eight to 10 years for an organization to be equitable and inclusive because it requires a change in behavior uh, from the individuals. And it, it requires also for the leadership to fully embody what they're preaching. So that may mean, and oftentimes means changing leadership, but also changing the composition of the board, um, implementing accountability measures that make sure that what you're trying to achieve is actually going to be achieved. Um, And also just changing the whole mindset, right? And changing slightly the culture as well to make sure that also it would not, we don't, we're not, we don't become too focused on like, okay, we need to have diversity. We need to have diversity, because you need to think that diversity is, yes, people that may not be part of what we call the majority culture, which is in Canada, white people. But you want to make sure that you include white people as well in the solution that you're creating, right? Because otherwise, then it creates this kind of um, this division within organization and that just can kill any plan. Um, so my job um, is to give them the foundation to be able to start with what they should be doing. And then after we follow up, right? So it can be through training, it can be through coaching, but what's important is that the foundations are solid. And if it's an organization that tried things before and that didn't work out, then we can look at why it didn't work out and gather the data to understand why also to have benchmarks uh, for the organization to compare themselves like from one year or six months from now. but there's also always this component of putting your ego aside and your humility uh, and try to not bring the defensive wall up right away when we do this kind of work, because it cannot be changed in a year. It cannot be changed in six months because to change humans take a long time. Absolutely. How much interaction do you have with fathers in your day-to-day of work? And, and what are the challenges uh, they sharing, if any? Uh, yeah, I do interact with uh, quite a bit of fathers. Um, uh, I think one of the main challenge uh, that fathers will find um, is to be able to recognize their own patterns and their own biases and their own assumptions and how it prevents them sometimes from having these conversations with their with their kids. So mothers tend to participate more into workshops that I do with Jedi kids. Uh, I did a couple of workshops with Jedi kids and they were, it was mostly mothers. Uh, but, that, but there were some fathers as well. And I know that are very involved. Uh, but I also know that, for example, being, I know, <laughs> well, I guess 
by living with one. <laughs> I've been able to witness, uh, but being a black father in Canada is very different than being a white father, right? So the approach, the conversation that will be had are going to be different, right? But those conversations need to be had. So for me, my my point with Jedi Kids is also to offer different perspectives, uh, is to offer different uh, different ways to communicate what needs to be communicated on, uh, you know, the skin color, on a different family structure, on uh, socioeconomical background, on age, on disability status, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on, right? Um, but I believe also that men have their their own way of functioning that us women can't understand. Because we're not men the same way that men cannot understand what a woman is going through and how and how they think. And therefore, that's why for me, the first step before having these conversations with children is to almost turn a flashlight towards yourself um, and to really to really think about the way that you grew up, what type of what kind of assumptions you have, where, what kind of biases you may have. What, uh, how, like, why are you reacting uh, in some, in some shape or form to some situation? Maybe you encountered something in your youth and then you realize that you always react that way because that's your way of protecting yourself, right? So it's really to examine when it is you talking and when your ego is talking as well, which ego is a little stronger in dads, I think. (laughs) Okay. And so... Under the uh, DEI or EDI umbrella, um, and I say that to listeners because both acronyms are used, just so you know, I'm not tripping on my uh, my acronyms. My acronym game is tight. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot under that umbrella. And one thing that I have an issue with and I see a lot um, is the term toxic masculinity. Uh, I'm sure you've come across this. <clears throat> um, for me personally, I think it's a very damaging and very unhelpful label to apply to men in general and to young boys in particular. And I'm curious to see what your thoughts are. Yes, toxic masculinity. Oof, that's a big, 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 big Pandora box, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where everything gets thrown in there and then it gets lost. Um, I think the, uh, like a lot of things, the originally when the term toxic masculinity was created, it was really to refer to a certain type of behaviors that may have been inherited mm. through interaction with society, mm-hmm. right? Nowadays, I find I I never use the term to be honest. Thank goodness. Like I may have <laughs> used it once or twice to talk about a topic at hand, but it's not a, it's not it's not an expression that I like to use because, as you said, it's, it's be, it became this big term that you can you throw every type of behaviors and patterns under this umbrella, and then you just drown the individuality and. Um, you know, the personality of each person, of each man. I do not think that every man is toxic uh, and that or there's something wrong with their masculinity. I believe that men inherited uh, certain tasks or certain expected behaviors mm-hmm. and that they're not necessarily adapted to the reality of society, same way for women by the way. So now we are at this stage where we're trying to, you know, to, to learn, to, to relearn how to dance together, right. To relearn on how to um, not really complement each other, to be able to evolve side by side, but um, 
but with the help of each other as well at the same time. Um, so I don't, I don't think that it's right to put the term toxic masculinity on young boys when they're still developing, when they're still growing up, because kids are sponges, right? So if you throw these terms around them all the time, they're going to take it as one of their own uh, personality trait or something that they should live up to. Absolutely. And then they're or, just or going live, to think, okay, well, that's how I'm expected to react, right? Yeah. Or live, live in this case, live down to, right? Like if you tell me, yeah. if you tell me as a 14 year old or an eight year old that I'm a toxic young man, well, after a while, I'm just like, you know what? It doesn't matter what I do, I'm going to get in shit for it. So, yeah, I'm going to keep on, you know, this is my label now. Just, you know, let's see how toxic I can be kind of thing. I think it's so damaging. And to your point, we don't hear, like you said, and women have, you know, we have to evolve and relearn. I agree completely. We don't hear about toxic femininity, right? That, that term doesn't exist. It's like so much societal's, societal issues right now are, are put on men, uh, sometimes justified, often not, uh, you know, under the patriarchy label, under toxic masculinity. And I find we're, we're getting into labeling now in one book that I read recently, and I, I want to hold it up to you, but it's uh, in the other room. It's called Don't Label Me. Do you know about this? It's by uh, Urshad, mm -hmm. Urshad Manji, right? Mm -hmm. um, she describes, you know, the premise for the book is right there in the title, but how unhelpful labels are in recognizing our individuality, right? Uh, even in, and we'll get into the gender talk in a moment, but uh, boys have X amount times more testosterone coursing through their veins from birth, right? So when you see a bunch of eight-year-olds uh, playing rough and tumble in the, in the schoolyard, they're not being toxic young men. They're literally at the whim of their hormones, right? Just uh or if you've read The Female Brain by, uh, I think it's Luanne Brizendine, she talks about how women are largely at the mercy of, of hormones through a good portion of their upbringing and into their later years as well. No one's going to call you toxic for that. It's, it's a function of your, of your biology. So I, I'm really, I'm very, I'm very happy to hear that as, you know, your mindset and your part of your training is to avoid this toxic masculinity label. I just find it really, uh, pervasive and, and, and not at all helpful to, to raising young men, but to society in general. So I appreciate that. Um, yes, definitely. And, you know, I think one thing to remember is that, um, because I had this talk with my husband sometime as well around toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, it's, this does not also mean that mm. you know just because we don't say we're not we're not we're not like saying hey yes toxic masculinity it doesn't mean that we don't believe in in um in accountability right and that doesn't mean that we don't believe in adapt like in, in adapting like you said mm -hmm. behaviors the same way that uh you know there's more and more issues uh around being a woman uh you know for example what when um when we walk in a parking lot alone even till now because I grew up like that and because of the environment that I grew up in, I will always have my keys in my hands because I feel vulnerable, right? I feel that no matter what, I can be taken advantage of, right? But now more and more men are aware of this, right? So it's really interesting also for me to, to look at what part, what part is biology and also what part is society because this goes hand in hand, right? 
like our our society developed in so many complex ways with technology, social media, in a way that our brain had to also evolve in certain way and favor certain patterns for us to be able to function better. Right. And so this is where unconscious bias comes from also, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but I really do believe that we cannot just say patriarchy is bad, men are bad, or, uh, you know, women are X, Y, and Z, because as you said, labels hurt us more than anything. Mm-hmm. I think what's the most important part is just to be able to recognize what problems are systemic and what are, um, I guess, sometimes wrongly attributed to, you know, to have a theme, the theme of the day, for example, exactly. right? yeah, so, and to individuals as well. And to your point about accountability, uh, none of this is to excuse, you know, I, I wouldn't also, mm-hmm. I don't like the term boys will be boys necessarily, right? Yeah. In some cases that applies, but in, in many cases, uh, sorry, but you can just say, no, you're being a little dick. <laughs> you're, be, you're, you're being a jerk and you cannot punch that kid in the stomach. I mean, that's whatever it is that that accountability has to exist as well. Like we, it's this whole, and this will be the theme of what we talk about for, I think, a generation beyond just today, but this whole labeling, this whole binary aspect of Mm. the discussions today, it's inflamed by social media. It's terrible, right? You're in, you're out, you're toxic or you're tonic. Uh, It's, we, we have to have these nuanced, intelligent discussions, but also in schools, this is where, you know, our kids are out of our hands for seven, eight hours a day. I, I desperately hope that people are having these, like if they're in good hands, like I hear, it sounds like yours are very good hands, uh, but in the wrong teacher, in the wrong person, no matter how credentialed they are, like you said, these consultants come in and uh, Jeff and I spoke, I think a good hour yesterday, we had, a, you know, good conversation and Jeff's talking about the the, the pendulum swinging too far a certain way right now. Uh, and in the wrong hands, kids can be really messed up. And I have a whole list of topics I want to get to under that umbrella. But Jeff, you jump in. Sorry. <laughs> no, but you're, you're, you're right. Because I think right now we're on the verge that all these, all these questions and all these, uh, these uh, reflection on our society, on our, on our, on our, our position, on where we, where we fit in, um, in, in that spectrum of issues, it's 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 freshly new, at least in the open space. Mm-hmm. So where I think we're at that point where where a lot of a lot of a lot of great things are coming out and that where where we're trying to find solutions, but like any new thing, we're not as equipped as like yourself who's going to be have a mindset of a, a, a bit or a bit balance or have a little bit of a, 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 a self reflection of like okay well what are we trying to do and how are we actually trying to evolve with this i think right now is mm-hmm. a lot of a we're a lot of in a position where we try to we try to do the things because it needs something has to be done but unfortunately sometimes it can be at the it can be detrimental it can be more um more 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 have a more negative impact instead of try you said it earlier when you come in a company, it takes time. Things are not gonna change within months, or just because now we're yeah we're trying to do the right the right thing. Now what's what's the right thing? You know, 
so we're, we're we have to make things we have to make change we have to make things happen but but unfortunately i think people are trying to have those changes faster or quicker that we actually are able to because there's a rationality in compartment components in it there's emotion in it we all have a background we all have a synergy we all have something a baggage so if you want to take a in in consideration all those variables well first of all we should take in consideration all those variables but if we want to get to that point where we say okay we're in a verge of our society is more just is more just and everybody is in that in that position of striving and be, and being and involving in the right right place at the right time <clears throat> well there's 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 I, I don't think that we can we can I don't think we can take those 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 uh, we need to educate educate ourselves better we need to not just say yeah I'm a consulting or oh, yes I have the right solution I don't have the solution I'm living shit <laughs> I don't have the solution I don't know <laughs> but no, I have no, a no no but you know this. like uh, just before you ask your question there's something very interesting that you said right like you need to educate ourselves well i will actually tell you that a lot of people now are educating themselves but what they're doing next is what they do wrong is that they want to jump into action right away they want to do something right because they feel moved they feel guilt they feel angry they feel outraged whatever it may be whatever the emotion but we are taught as a society to not feel our emotions fully especially men i think um and when you don't sit and simmer with or have a talk with your emotion right that may be showing up then you're missing out on all the insights all the little piece of knowledge that they may be that it may be telling you right and how can you then come out of from the other side wiser if you totally discard what it was trying to tell you about you and also about the situation But what I mean by that is that when you learn something new, it's super important to then have a reflection moment, a reflection piece to be to really let this knowledge and this new information kind of sit down with you and for you to reflect on what is your role within this particular issue or this new knowledge piece. Maybe you have caused harm that's because you were not aware of certain things. Maybe you were a really good ally at some point. Maybe not. Um, maybe you have some shortcomings. But really thinking about what it means to you and how it showed yeah. up in your life. And then after you can jump into action. But just reading a book, listening to podcasts, and then saying, okay, I'm going to go like walk in the street. I'm going to donate money without actually understanding what your role is for me is such a waste of time and energy. Mm. Um, but once again, this is something that we've been taught, right? Like, like the need for action right away, something that you can see, especially with social media is so pervasive that we are almost scared to sit with ourselves and think about what this, what something new may mean to us because we're scared to see what it may look like when there's this kind of, uh, I guess this mirror that comes, uh, that comes in front of you. And then you have like your emotion talking to you, like the little characters in inside out of Pixar, right? Mm -hmm. Like sadness, anger, joy. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, <laughs> this is, I just wanted to mention that. That's good. <laughs> the, the, when, um, Obviously, with you, I'm, I'm sure not obviously, but I'm sure you have those conversations with your husband, who's 
who's uh who's very involved in, in his community and is very very so he's in, around kids and it is is seen as a role model uh, your husband is being a basketball coach uh, uh head of program of basketball programs and tra trying to advocate and push uh basketball for push uh, and put montreal on the map in the basketball scene um but and does he or do you guys have those conversation of how because basketball is a community where a, a a good amount of of of, of players are black mm -hmm. and 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 being and being black see and I, i told i told jeff about it when you're a basketball when you're a basketball player you have a stigma on your on your jersey on your, on your just because mm -hmm. just because you know you're you going up you 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 go on a perfect example you go in a park where uh, um there's um i was i was in ottawa there's a beautiful amazing park and there's on one side there's this tennis court where the lights are on and the highlights are on till like 11 p.m and on the other side the basketball court no lighting no nothing no the rims are shit right but everything else in the park is like fairly new so already you're like you you see that there are bias you know that's another conversation but how, what are what are the conversation that you and you and your husband have into how to yes your kids and 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 have your kids evolve and grow up in that type of environment but also for his other kids when we talk about basketball players and 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 have them becoming better humans beings better uh better society uh well better for the there are the future of our society what a type of conversation you guys have oh we have so many conversations <laughs> um so just to give a bit of background um my husband and i we are quite different in our upbringing as well um so that's that that makes for really good conversations right because i am senegalese and canadian I didn't grow up all my life in Canada. My father uh, is a retired diplomat. And therefore, we lived in um, different uh, West African countries up until I went to university. So I have the experience of living in a country uh, where the majority culture is Black, for example, and having the opportunity to go back and forth between different cultures. Okay, So my father is white and my mother was Black. My husband grew up in Montreal um Haitian family um in uh yeah he grew up in uh yeah in Saint Michel <laughs> if he listens he's gonna be like what you don't know where I grew up I'm like yes I do um <laughs> and um so his lived experience and his reality is 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 a bit different than mine and so when I ask questions sometimes he will correct me saying hey that's not reality here this is not how I experience it or Or he's he's gonna he's gonna challenge me on something or call me out and I'm like that's perfectly fine right this this is how you you get those exchanges, um, but one thing that his name is Wood, one thing that Wood does tremendously well and he has honestly a gift for it is to is the ability to relate to youth. There's something about him that teenagers, young adults, kids just trust him. They really trust him, and it goes beyond what's going on on the basketball court. Mm -hmm. It goes really up to what's going on in their lives. And to me, 
uh, well, obviously he, well, obviously you don't know, but well, Jeff knows, um, Jeff Andy knows, but he, uh, he did the, the, the Pour Trois Point pro, uh, program. He was part of their first cohort. So therefore he was, he was equipped with tools to be able to guide, uh, to guide youth, uh, young men, uh, specifically, um, to become better versions of their, of themselves through basketball. So for sure for him, he what's important for him is that the kids, his black players, his players in general, know that they have options, know that they have advocacy, know that they have the power to change uh, their outcomes, whatever it may be. So he's really trying to establish that line of trust and that openness and that and that that communication because sometimes those players don't have that or they never had that before or they do, or they didn't even have role models for them to look up to up to this point so i've seen him have these and still up to now have these relationship with these kids that everybody gave up on people literally came to yeah. wood and told him don't bother with that player like he has an attitude um he will listen to you uh he's a little gangster He's in gangs. Um, he won't like. He will ruin the culture, the atmosphere of your team, and would never listen to those people, right? He always gave the benefit <laughs> of the doubt to every single players that came on his team, and that's what and that's what makes it so beautiful to watch. Because there you have an individual who is able to change the course of the lives of so many. And, and I don't mean it by saving, because I hate to say that word, because it's not in a savior atmosphere. It's really just a genuine human connection. And now it doesn't mean that his whole team went to graduate high school or went to university, but at least, you know, they they regain a little bit, uh, I think, of that of that self-esteem, of that value that sometimes society will tell them that they don't have any because of the school that they go to, because of how they look, how they put their hair, their skin color, etc. So Wood is really able to do that for his black players, but also for his white players. He That's his second best trait, I think, is the ability to navigate different levels of society and different ethnocultural group and basketball makes does that as well right sport does that it just unifies everybody and to be able to take that into account and to talk to teenagers for me is just a superpower honestly um and at home um i think we both agree that we want our kids to understand the different layers of our identity but also of their identity so my daughter is super light skin. Uh, she's a bit like me, right? So if she put her hair straight, she would probably be white passing, right? Or people would just grant her more privilege, more benefits. My son is much darker. So you know, you know that he's not white, <laughs> like, or you know that he's not like, you know, you know, you know that he's black, right? Um, and he will be tall, like he's two and he already wears three-year-old type of clothing, right? And he's just bulky. Um, so, you know, he's going to be a tall black man who's going to be deemed and looked at, perceived like as a threat. And I know it, right? In 10 years, people are going to, I'm not going to see him as the cute little boy that I know now. Um, and Wood was the first one to point it out to me when he was just a baby saying, Hey, you, you understand that he's going to experience life differently because his skin is different than his sister's. 
And I really had to sit back and think about it because my first reaction was like, of course not, right? Like, because I didn't experience it, but my husband did. And he understand what it's like to be a young Black man in Montreal, in Canada. I don't. I understand what it is to be a mixed girl traveling in between different countries and living in my reality. So I think the conversation that we have is, is also to make sure that our children understand the different, you know, the intersectionality of their identity and to understand that the way that they are perceived by the world um, is, is not something to see that they can change, but they have the power to over how they will react to it. Right. So it's really that kind of wisdom that we want to instigate in our kids uh, so that they can remain proud of their roots and of who they are and to stand up tall for what they what their values will be. Well, I hope that's the values I will give them. But, you know, I'm open um, <laughs> and that they and, and, you know, I'm just I really also, I think we also agreed to to just welcome them for who they are, no matter how they show up in life, because I like, you know, we don't have any expectations on how they will come out. We, we don't have any, any choice in that matter anyways. Like we can kind of give them direction, but then ultimately at some point, as you mentioned, Jeff, like they'll go to school, they'll have their own circle of friends and they'll have all of these other influences. What you can do as a parent is to make sure that the foundation is rock solid and that you kind of provide these kind of guidelines and borders where like kids can kind of bounce off to when they're unsure. Um, because for me, parenting is also a sort of form of activism, right? This is where you can really instigate like the values um, um, in like in your kids really early on. So, and I have one, I mean, what you said makes sense for the most part. To me, one part that I find is a bit saddening is that you speak as though society is in a fixed perception mode that if you tell him right away he's going to grow up to be a tall black man, he's going to be perceived differently. That's you know we just talked about the danger of labeling. Are you not concerned that if you tell him that you're setting a preconceived notion in his mind, even no matter how much you're going to educate him at home, like you said, you're going to you know um, support him and that kind of thing. Society has evolved and continues to evolve. It's I mean I keep on saying evolved. I'm not plugging our podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> That is the genesis of what we're talking about. And it's to me, it's very important to recognize evolution and to say that how your son is perceived in 10 years is not the same as how your husband was perceived when he was a 12-year-old boy. Uh, I think that's very, to be honest, a bit overly pessimistic and a bit, it's a bit confining to put him under that, to, to tell him that even, you know? I, what do you think of that? May, may, may I? Uh, no. I have a question for Julie, Jeff. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, go, Julie. But, I will. I will. I will ask, I, no, no, no. Go. You know what, Julie? Go I'm ahead. Teasing. Huh? I, I will. I'm, te I, I, I'm teasing totally you. But I'm, I'm cracking my knuckles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> when I say that he will grow up to be a tall black man that people will may perceive as threatening. It is not to say that I will tell him that he is a tall black man that people will perceive as threatening. Mm -hmm. I am building this through empirical data. I'm a scientist by training, so therefore I rely on data to make my assumptions, right? And my hypothesis as well. And it is a fact that 
things didn't change much for black men in that regard. So, so, you know, just to give you a really quick example, um, I know from stories that my husband told me that he's been, uh, you know, arrested a number of times for no good reason. Right. And even once I was in the car, um, and because I was there, then all of a sudden everything was fine. I keep hearing those, the same stories repeating themselves over and over and over and over again. And I am guessing that it won't be solved in just one generation. So by the time my son is old enough to be tall enough to be looked at as, oh, he's an adult, because that's another topic, because black kids, black children are like, there's a tendency to look at them as being adults when they're still kids. But that's another story for another day. Um, Unless the the police system and the way that people perceive communities change, things won't necessarily change. I agree that society is evolving. I totally agree with that, and I I'm really hoping that the generation that my that my that my child is growing up in will have that 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 same perception change. However, the generation right before him. I don't know how much of that will change because they will be the next judge. They will be the next teachers. They will be the next police officers. And unless something drastic happen, I don't see that system evolving fast enough to catch up for the fact that my kid won't experience any discrimination or that type of discrimination. Maybe his kid will, right? And I hope so. Um, but for him, I don't know. I'm I'm going to be cautiously waiting, sitting mm-hmm. back and see if I can revisit that statement at a later time. Because nothing in the way that policies are made, in the way politicians are, are, are speaking, nothing tells me that this will be a problem that will be solved anytime soon. That's that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I totally get your point. And it's true that I really also raise my kids. I try to raise my kids as gender neutral as possible. And I have walking gender stereotypes <laughs> of both, uh, which is really funny. Um, but um, but yeah, me, I, my, my goal is just to raise him as, as being proud of who he is. And when the time comes, I'm, we'll see if we need to have that talk with him. We know the talk that all black parents know about. Right. Yeah. I never about, heard. hey, be careful about, about around police. Be careful about that. I hope I really, truly hope sincerely that I won't have to have that talk, but I cannot guarantee that it's not going to happen. So I think for me, it's as a responsible parent of a black boy. I need to keep that in mind. Yeah. I don't think it's being pessimistic. I think it's about ensuring his survival at some point. This is and, I think this and, is the and, viewpoint and- of a black parent. Yeah, and what I would add, and because you're you're right, Jet, when you say we society is evolving and things are not, you know, the way my parents or our parents, July and I, uh, probably live life, it's 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 another world where I what I had experienced, and when they give me that speech, you know, I still remember that first time I had that speech with my my speech with my parents, and I think the approach wasn't right because they weren't equipped to. To have or to have that type of conversation, because at the time, well, our parents or our parents at that time, or were more of a this how you this is how you, it's not a conversation. It's more of a 
this tyrant things are and this is how you will have to behave mm. that's it that's all there is no like counterbalancing or trying to uh, uh to interact or try to converse in that sense i think right now because we are more involved and because we're more uh touching to our emotion into our emotion at least the ones that that are well when we have those conversations with our kids and i don't think it's going to be well a goal at least it's not to, about lab, labeling it's about letting them know that one day maybe someone's going to say something mm -hmm. and at that moment be prepared you need to know or you need to be prepared because that moment can't trigger you on one side or the other which means it can sorry for my language it can fuck you up to a point where you don't have self-esteem and you don't understand and you you're always going to be like judging always feeling that someone is watching you mm -hmm. or on the other side say you know what fuck the labels and and fuck it all and uh, you know i'll be able to be myself by myself and do whatever i need and wherever i you know but that's that's big and 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 i i didn't i never got arrested i never got uh uh, I got pulled over for, 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 for driving too bit too fast with a fancy car. And my wife still believed it because I was the driver. I, 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 but I never, I never had those moments that are very like direct with authority, whatever. But I had moments with my friends where there's that joke that comes out or where the teacher, which is a compliment, the teacher is saying, well, oh, this year we're gonna win all the Olympics because Jeff is in the class and he's gonna run faster than everyone. You know, like those little comments where you're like, "Oh, okay, oh yeah, you run, you run probably faster because of this and this and that." You know, so I, I, I can give you the list of comments. The thing is that, thankfully, I was, I was, was a person that always took a step back and was a bit self conscious of things so i was able to handle it in a certain way but i don't think it's most of the kids that are are equipped so i think as parents our job for every parent even you i told you jeff yesterday you have girls so your role as a parent with your girls and you have tons of things you have to talk about but it's also to make sure that they are just equipped to know what even though men's are men's are way better or even more men's are way more conscious even though you're still gonna have a sort of type of conversation of understanding or at least have her understand what society and what society we live in and how and how she should just be able to be kind of a chameleon and, and adjust themselves into it that's our and that's a long-term job there's the conversation I'll have today with a four a four year old is going to be is going to evolve in ten years, in fifteen years, in twenty years, in thirty years. It's going to evolve in a better way, hopefully. But we always have to have at least a little bit of a, of of reality check mm -hmm. of saying not saying you are labeled and you are fucked from the day you were born. Not at all. It's more but of that, a, that messaging does come. This is the, again in the wrong hands, and the messaging and the the bombardment through social media. That message is being conveyed by a lot of people who are not thinking like Julie thinks. Um, it's <clears throat> she's a thoughtful person. She's a thoughtful husband. She's going to be raising you know thoughtful kids. But I can tell you the overall message that's not being had on a a small podcast with three uh, Montrealers 
it's it's bad, and I'll get into it in a bit. I really want to get into it because um, we're going to talk about Naomi Osaka and, and things like this. I can tell you that that I appreciate both your viewpoints, and I completely, absolutely accept them. It's just that's not the bulk of society right now. That that messaging is often telling kids of color the system stacked against you. Be angry. Be an activist. Don't you know uh, you're. It's it's very limiting in a sense for a lot of people. They're not taking the nuance that you guys are taking. Um, so anyway, I, I'm reading. I'm just my my antenna are up for this because I read a lot. I read a lot of stuff everywhere. So a lot of what we talked about in this kind of uh, the sort of conception that a lot of people carry right now is <clears throat> grounded in reality for many, and it is inflamed by many. Uh, which I think is very unhelpful. And, and we need to teach our kids about social media and the pervasive aspects of you know every algorithm that is geared towards showing you the worst of the worst. Um, and Jeff and I spoke about this offline a few times. I think the media environment today is very unhelpful to having these kind of discussions or to raising our kids. I, I view everything in the eyes of my kids and how they're going to be growing up, as I'm sure you guys do. But um, I'll just jump right into what uh, you guys both know, Naomi Osaka, the tennis player. Uh, mm-hmm. Last summer, she referred to, uh, and, I, and I'm going to paraphrase here, I, I could pull it up for proper quoting, but the genocide. That's what happens when you live uh, in the, 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 I'm not going to say where, but in, in the country. Yeah, that's right. Um, but she, she referred to the genocide of black people at the hands of the police or something to that effect. Um, mm-hmm. I find that such a deeply unhelpful comment for a prominent person. And I don't even know, and I'm going to ask you, it's a long way to ask a question about to get your perspective on it, Julie. But first of all, it's, it's just factually incorrect. There is no genocide occurring at the hands of police. Um, there's definitely problems that need to be fixed and everything, but until you can tone down that language, a lot of people can't hear you and you're going to tune out the people that you need to be allies in the conversation. Actual genocide. Uh, my parents were in the war in Rotterdam getting their house or their school. My mother's school got bombed. Uh, her father was taken from their home for three years. Uh, many you know, fellow students of hers disappeared forever because of their ethnicity. What happened in World War II was an actual genocide, right? My wife had hundreds of thousands of people taken from her country of Lithuania and killed in gas chambers because of genocide. So when a tennis player uses that term, it's not only deeply offensive to many people, and I won't take offense for them because I'm not of that same uh, ethnic class, but still, it absolutely distorts the conversation that we need to be having and she's on the cover of sports illustrated kids the next month or a few months later she's on the cover i think of teen vogue or you know so her language is being amplified and i hate that stuff in terms of in terms of proper race relations it sets us it just sets us way back and i'd like to hear your views on that julie Okay, um, so I have a couple of different thoughts on that. 
So one thing that I learned very quickly when it comes to the Black experience in the United States is that I have no idea. That, 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 that's my first thing, right? Is that I have no idea what they live day to day. Right. I got educated on that and I was able to talk to some people. My sister lived in the States for quite a long period of time. Um, I have cousins, etc. So I was able to still gather a little bit of insights. And one of the things about there being black in the US is that there is this generational trauma that has been passed down ever since time of slavery. Mm-hmm. And that's a fact that we that we all know that, that the effects are still being seen and felt nowadays, mm-hmm. whether it is through healthcare, whether it is through um, uh, wealth, you know, like generational wealth, mm-hmm. whether it is in real estate, et cetera, et cetera. We, we all know that. Mm-hmm. And the prison, Absolutely. et cetera. Yeah. So, the history of the relationship between the police and black communities have always been, I wouldn't say nebulous, but has always been um, one-sided in the sense that there has been, doesn't mean that there was no, no one never did anything wrong, but there's been an overwhelming, overwhelmingly strong response towards the black communities to to satisfy some agendas that are that we all know again nowadays, not any conspiracy that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all very uh, verif- verifiable mm-hmm. facts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of a choice of words, um, I I see exactly what you mean by that. Like I often refer to what happened to the indigenous communities as a cultural genocide mm-hmm. because to me this is what happened. Um, and I know this is the word that they themselves use as well mm-hmm. to refer to what's happening to them. Mm-hmm. So I take it from their point of view because they're the communities that experience it. So I'm like, okay, you know what? And I totally agree with it. Before I got more knowledge on it, I have to say I had I didn't know. Right. And if I don't know, I, I you know you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Now for Naomi Osaka, I think that she is part of this generation that is extremely vocal about around you know social justice movement about around climate change etc that's just that generation my niece and nephews are the same they just don't let anything pass right like if there's something that they have to say they will say it there's almost like almost no filter mm-hmm. um and in the case of naomi osaka I think that she, it's not that I think, there is, you, you know, when you have like, let's say a glass of water, and then, you know, you can think about injustice or racism, systemic racism, just filling the water little by little, and then you have a drop that's way too many. Mm-hmm. I feel this is way, this is where the states are. This is where uh, I should say North America is in terms of, the, uh, in terms of uh, anti-Black racism where there's this seemingly overwhelming responses for people that are not black or that are not from the community, but more, but if you're on the other side, then you see that it has been a long time coming. 
right? This over, this really, um, this outrage, this anger, this oh, that no, this never-ending anger that people keep referring to. This is something that's been brewing for years and generations of witnessing murders, witnessing injustice, witnessing uh, theft of of you know of many different types, and not being able to do anything about it because you wouldn't be believed or you would be put in jail and you know you wouldn't get out, et cetera, and getting stuck in that cycle. Mm-hmm. In terms of the choice of her words per se, I understand what she, where, where it comes from. I wouldn't necessarily use genocide. I would probably use something like mass murder or um, you know something maybe of that connotation. It never occurred to me to use the word genocide. But for this particular question, I tend to refer to the people who live it and to see how they feel. Because I don't think you can compare tragedies. Um, each tragedies and each period of time have its own content, its own component. Um, and I can see where you take, um, you take, I guess, offense or that you don't agree with the, with the use of this term, especially if you do have some, um, uh, not necessarily some uh, some relationship, but you have some proximity but even, to even if genocides I didn't, that happened in the past, right? But even if I didn't, um, you, you cannot erase, I mean, that's 6 million Jewish people. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't have to have proximity. Just Are the, you Jewish? No. Sorry, like I, I didn't get that. No. Okay. That's what I'm saying. The fact that my parents were born there and my wife's parents were European and, and mm-hmm. Lithuania was impacted heavily, I don't need to have proximity. I, the fact that I do is a byproduct, uh, you know, you should, you, you could be someone who has zero connection to it and recognize the atrocity of, of what happened in the second world war and realize that yeah. you cannot use that term <laughs> to describe yeah, I what's don't, happening. I don't, I don't I think, think that's I think, true. I, think, I don't think that's okay, true. So it's, it is my thing. Here's my yeah, thing. Cause I think ahead. there's two, there's two, there's two components that we're not, that I think that we're unfortunately we're not taking in consideration is the first is that, Osaka is a kid. No matter how we want to say it, she's a, she's a young. No, no. When, when I'm here, hear me out. Is that she's a young person that has, and she, she from a generation that's that speaks out. But like any any young person, you need to educate. You need to, and you're gonna make either mistakes or you're gonna have a a more drastic approach. I think this generation have a, a more drastic approach on everything. But the second part. It, and that's not to excuse uh, whatever or to try to 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 uh, make sense of what she what she said, but the other component is that medias are supposed to have a power of information and not influence. And right now, unfortunately, our media platform, at least the major ones, are using their voice to with whoever's speaking the loudest. To, to sell and to push and to get clicks. And that's what it is, unfortunately. So now we're kind of asking whoever, whoever is speaking out, we're asking those people that have a voice to say, well, now you actually have to be careful what you say and how you say it, because it's going to be taking in a way where the mass is going to take it and don't have the, 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 the won't take a step back and under, try to understand if it's good or bad, or they're just going to take a, dis, a, a direction left or right. And let's say it's I'm a, a Democrat and are, are, are Republican. I'm, I'm, I'm blue or red. They're going to take a decision. So I think 
unfortunately, she could have said something else. And someone else would have said, well, that's not right. Well, right or wrong, unfortunately, we also have another component that we don't have control on the media side that unfortunately has to, to stop. So I think as, as, as parents, as whoever uh, influence or impact we have or in our small community is to, we have to kind of a counter um, counter effect that communication or that 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 leeway of like oh yeah we are reading a lot we are intru- uh, uh, giving ourselves uh, reading a lot of uh, looking at at, at 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 media component and say well we have to be able to say yes or no or either to say I'm gonna take some I'm gonna leave some unfortunately that's where we're at that point right now because we cannot li- understand that Osaka has a voice but doesn't mean that she has a voice that she her voice is the right one like anyone else but in today's environment for the matter. Yeah, in today's environment nobody's calling her out on that except for a bunch of right-wing lunatics who I don't have anything to do with right I, like I, you know no one's in today's environment Jeff that voice is not her no one's correct her and saying hey hang on when you say that kind of stuff, it's completely unhelpful to advancing our society forward in terms of race, in terms of racial relations. You're completely, it's like when you have an argument with your partner, right? You can have this discussion and we can get somewhere, or you can just say, you know what? You're a piece of whatever, whatever, and slam the door and leave behind you, right? Well, when you do that, the conversation or the relationship's not really going to move forward at that point, right? So, yeah. But in today's environment, to your point, no one is calling her out on it. We're kind of like, well, yeah, you know, she's probably angry and all that, but I don't know. And and I, I'm picking on her as a particular example, but I'm using her as a representative of the idea that that tone, the volume has to be turned way down if we want to have, to bring it back to what Julie mentioned before, the idea that when her son is in, you know, 10, 12, 14 years walking down the street, he's not viewed as a threat. We need to have a dialogue where society is equitable and doesn't use terms like genocide, like uh, like you know, like it's candy. I don't know. It's it's um. Sorry, go ahead. And I, I have other stuff on the media stuff too that I want to piggyback onto that. Uh, Julie, did you want to jump in or can I? Uh... Uh, yeah, I wanted to okay. jump in yeah. um, on the fact that um, the thing about turning the volume down is that. Um, and I'm going to be direct. As a white man, you cannot tell a black woman to turn down her tone and her voice around an injustice that touches her, right? You can ask to have an exchange about it, no, right? Yeah, so exactly. you can ask, you know, like there, you know, there are ways because right now, if you actually say something like that, you're going to find the same reaction, but from the black community, especially in the U.S. Um, and even in Canada, right? I don't know why I'll say, because I think because we're talking about now Osaka, so I think US. Um, but we also need to be careful around what, like how we want the conversation to be had, depending on the identity and the historical trauma of the groups involved in the conversation, right? So I agree 
that to have meaningful and constructive conversation, like for anything, for any hard conversation, there needs to be an acknowledgement of the harm that has been done. And there needs to be an acknowledgement of their willingness and intentionality to move forward. But for now, I think we are still at that stage of recognizing the different levels of trauma that exist within communities and also the willingness to be able to move forward. But And we're still trying to figure this out, right? And people often forget also the power of words and their definition per se. And sometimes, you know, like it's normal that sometimes you will have words that will be attached to specific contexts, specific events that others, it may not pop up in their mind automatically because it's not part of uh, what I call their smog that they grew up in, mm -hmm. right? So we each have our own, own context. So I just wanted to point out because we have to be careful also around these discussions because this is an argument that we hear often that oh we need to tone down the volume we need to have this quote-unquote rational conversations or you know something not necessarily rational but you know conversations where um there's no um um super like um i guess i, I seem to realize i really say my mind you know as this high peak of emotions or this high peak of volatility mm -hmm. But the truth is, you can't really control whatever's happening in the other person given their given their historical trauma. And for me, that's really important. And even when I design for clients, if let's say there's a group, there's a majority black uh, employees, um, or if there's indigenous groups, I'm going to take into account the historical trauma of the community when I'm going to uh, develop and design the solution because this is important. And because now, because of media, <laughs> social media, we're bombarded by information that we think we understand, we think we know, when in fact we're just scratching the surface and we need to do much more deep level education. And this is my little uh, side wing to the academic system, the school system. Um, but we need to have much more in-depth understanding of the context, but also on how to have this conversation uh, with, with each other while respecting each other boundaries um, and, uh, and I guess, um, emotional component to it, if that makes sense. No, it, and it's all, those are all very good points. I, I would never suggest um, to tell someone just flat out to turn down the volume. They're, like you said, there's generations of emotional trauma that goes into everything and what you said before made very it really resonated before where it's been so much bullshit perpetrated against certain communities over the years that this one extra drop makes a bucket overflow right you're just like okay that's it i'm <laughs> the, the gloves are coming off like, you know uh, it's like a geyser it's like <laughs> it, it, it completely makes sense i just and i think we understand each other in the sense that when someone like that uses language and because social media does not allow for any kind of nuance or deeper discussion yeah, exactly it's deeply unhelpful so like you you said it yourself we need to be careful with our words and when a prominent media figure is just celebrated for who they are and for what they say and and you say well you cannot object to what she says because of her historical trauma well Okay, but then we're really not going to advance the discussion if if we cannot criticize her choice of words in some cases. Anyway, um, I know you guys have to go. <laughs> I'm so mindful of the time; I could keep going, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, let's uh, let's do part two. This is so much fun. I love this. Mm. No, I appreciate that. I really appreciate your your thoughtfulness. So it's uh, 
it's good all right guys well uh let's uh let's 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 uh, thank you so much uh julie next week we're gonna have a part two we're gonna have a lot of fun i think we touched a lot of points that are sensitive that are that are but can be very or will be very impactful uh in our involving journey so thank you so much for being here thank you thanks so much julie okay that's it for today's episode Hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned a little something too. Jeff, how can people find us? You can head to evolvingdads.com. You can also hit the support us tab and buy us a cup of coffee. Or two, catch all our episodes and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews really help us reach a bigger audience. Yeah, that would be helpful. Very helpful, everyone. And one more thing, you can also follow us at Evolving Dads on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.